else here instead of Jeff Page. Hold on, Jeff. What's up, Jeff? Jeff is in the green room. And, all right. There you what what are you what are you trying to say? <laughs> we all look alike. I mean, <laughs> don't even start this. No. We're not starting off the show like this. That's not happening. Ladies and gentlemen, WTF, welcome to Funkatopia. You know how we do. And uh man, I am I am very, very honored. We are very, very honored. Jeff wasn't here, so I just took all the honor upon myself to bring on the illustrious. David T.C. Ellis in the house. What's going on? Hey. Are you feeling all right? Man, I'm super blessed. All right, let's awesome. That's Definitely. awesome. Well, uh, as many of you know, some of you may not have even known T.C., but he was actually, you may have, the first time many of you even laid eyes on him was uh was at Graffiti Bridge in the movie Graffiti Bridge, and he also had, uh, he also did some lines in a new power generation part two, but there was a lot of stuff going on. And he, of course he had this, the solo album, true confessions that was released with Paisley park records. We're going to talk about all this stuff, but there's so much more that's going on. And uh, man, it is an honor to have you yes. I mean, just, I mean, you're, you had a really busy day today. I mean, I think you were just, you were running around all day today. What was on your schedule? You were just yeah. like, well, actually I was um, supposed to be in Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But um, I had a little uh, bump in the schedule, and so I ended up staying in Minneapolis. And um, I'm thankful to be here. <laughs> it was um, it was a, a lot, just a lot of work, you know, moving around the studio and dealing with the um, high school for recording arts and studio for all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I cannot wait to kind of get some more information and share some information about studio four, because there is some really, really cool stuff going on uh, with studio four, which is a studio that you set up started in Minneapolis area, or it was it was it the Minneapolis area or twin cities area. Yeah, well, it, 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 um, officially it started in downtown St. Paul, Okay, but, but I, I look at, I've always looked at um, Minneapolis and St. Paul as the twin cities. That's, that's been my turf my whole yeah. life. So um, I, it's it's kind of like the same thing to me. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, I, I there is a lot of history in Minnesota. Um, I, I, especially in that, in that area, when you talk about St. Paul and you talk about Minneapolis and just that it's, there was a lot going on and I want to kind of take it back to, let's just say, the seventies area era of, of Minneapolis and everything that was going on pre Prince's breakout, because I think once Prince broke out in seven and I'm, we're trying not to make this too much about Prince, but he was a, a pretty historical part of, yeah. of your trajectory. Yes, but, sir. But what, as far as Minneapolis was concerned, I think, and I wasn't, I didn't live in Minneapolis at the time, but I can only imagine that once he broke and things like controversy and dirty mind in 1999 really started to gain momentum on a national scale and an international scale, it really probably drastically changed the music scene in Minneapolis. And everybody was just kind of like, Oh, what is what's happening here? So before that point, let's talk a little bit about what Minneapolis was like 
in the seventies. I mean, what was, what was the vibe like? Uh, I mean, as far as the music industry was concerned and just any of that. Well, it was, it was an amazing place to grow up and, and see the music develop. There was, um, they had the show pushers, which was a local band that was, you know, kind of like the dramatics. They had, um, Bobby Lyle, you know, Billy Holloman, um, Willie Weeks, all the greats. I mean, cats that were just amazingly talented and they were playing at local spots around St. Paul, Minneapolis. And, um, you know, being a younger cat growing up, one of my bet, my best friend, his mother, she, um, was the owner of the Ebony lounge, which was where, um, um, Willie Weeks played and, and Bobby Lyle and all them kept So well, we, we would, she would give us a job um, checking coats. And so we got to, we got to see the, see the music, you know, in full effect. And it was, it just blew us away, man. It was, it was incredible. You know, Midwest Express was another band that came wow. out early in my, you know, growing up. These were groups that, uh, along with, um, there was another group called Purple Haze, who eventually became known as Haze, and they were just an, another amazing group. There was just talent everywhere. The family in Minneapolis, just, um, you know, the Lewis brothers, the Lewis Connection. Yeah, I remember Lewis Connection, I remember that. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was, it was great. Wow. I was trying to think of all those bands. There was one that um, there was another band that was out there that that rivaled the time, um, very very similar to the time uh, that there was like so many bands that were yeah. like it was just like that sound in that. Yeah. Yes. So yes, man, indeed. yeah, and I also know that um, there was a lot of, I guess not necessarily, um, it was just a very very charged time as far as I. I I think I remember just like a lot, a lot of gangs and stuff like that. Yeah, I was, I was actually, I was a roadie for um the fam for um uh I'm trying to think of the band. The, I think it was the family. Yeah, the the original family band that um uh, Pierre Lewis was in oh, and um, um Sonny Thompson. He played the bass. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I had a van. I used to, I used to haul around that Hammond B three, and the, and the Leslie, and get them set up. We go to Wisconsin or wherever, and they were doing their thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So That's I cool. go, I go back, um, you know, to the beginning of that kind of like, you know, during Prince's era, right when he was coming out, he was in Grand Central, and mm -hmm. and um, the first time I ever seen Grand Central. First time I ever saw um, Grand Central was on um, Nicollet Mall. They played on the Nicollet Mall, mm. and um, it was it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, back in the, the even that's even before the Peppy Willie days, I would imagine. So somewhere, yeah, a little, little bit, a little bit, yep, right Pepe, in there. Peppy was right on the cusp of all of yeah. that. You know, that was when um, he was Prince was kind of staying over at Andre's house in North Minneapolis a lot. And um, Grand Central, uh, Morris was playing the drums and uh, Prince was on the guitar. And uh, Andre Simone, his sister played the organ, the keyboard, the Farfisa. 
Wow. She, she, she had an old Farfisa. What well, was new then, but it, you know, right now. So yeah. while, while you were seeing these guys and, and watching these guys perform, mm -hmm. and especially getting the roadie, a roadie gig, well, how did that affect you and the things you started to do or were trying to do or get involved in, you know, career-wise? Well, you know, all of that was happening before um, I had really got into hip-hop even. Mm -hmm. well, I played the drums, and I used to play with um, Tony Walker, who ended okay. up? He ended up being uh, Lettuce's music director. He's out. He's out in the on uh, the Washington D.C. area. But his father is a legend, Carl Walker. Who mm -hmm. um, he's a Reverend Carl Walker. He's a, a keyboard player. He's just amazing. And Tony is is equally amazing. He's 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 been just doing the music business, kind of like up. Uh, low key though a lot of people don't know about him but he's he's like all that and so i would i grew up playing with him and andre lewis and pierre lewis those guys we all lived around each other and we used to rehearse playing um on um tony 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 walker's living room you know his dad would come home and and uh bump him off the ham and and get on there and jam with us. And those, you know, um, mm. those were just times of, of um, nostalgia that you don't even realize you're living in until right. later, you know? Yeah. Right. It, it's just, you're just going at that time. And then yep. now you look, reflect and you go, wow, yeah. that was special. Yeah. So then after that, the, um, the Lewis connection, they got the two brothers, they were phenomenal. Um, talents, you know, the guitar, one played the keyboards, the other one played the guitar, but they both could play the keyboards. And, and um, there, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first um, uh, professional recording that I know Prince was on. And that was the, that was the Lewis connection. He just, he, he just played the guitar on that track. He appeared on that. What's the name hmm. that got to be something here? That was the song that I remember from the Lewis connection. Is got that it? Got yeah. to be something here. Yeah. yeah. Great track. I'll have to see if I can find that. That's a, yeah. I, they were, yeah, they were just really definitely more, more pop. And I think what I find really interesting, even those early Prince days before he even got tied up with Pepe Willie, there was, um, there was so much that he was doing that a lot of people don't know about this. I was just, and I totally forgot this, but I was re-listening to an interview that I did with Chris Moon. Uh -huh. And Chris said that he had gotten Prince hired to do like a bunch of commercials for this furniture store or something. Uh -huh. I said, are you telling me that there are commercials Furniture store commercials with Prince playing playing the jingle already. He's like, "Yep, there's like we oh. did like about five or six of them." I was like, "We there's oh, wow. like, we gotta be able to find these commercials somewhere. Gotta find this Man. somewhere. Must be somewhere." You know, Chris Moon. He was a he was a real entrepreneur in the community, and he kind of um, really opened up his uh, space and let Prince do his thing. So, but. I was I was lucky to know Chris Moon also. John Rivers, he did a lot of work with Chris Moon and and he was uh one of the first cats that really was 
playing with um, Alexander O'Neill. Mm. And um, that, that that all came out of um, that time, that timeline. Well, how and how close were you to Alexander O'Neill? Are you guys really good friends or? <laughs> Yeah, I know Alex very well. I mean, shit, we ran the street together <laughs> in St. Paul in Minneapolis. He lived in St. Paul right around the corner from me. And my younger sister, Sue Ann, she used to sing with him out and about. But, mm. but um, you know, me and Alex, we used to get into things, you know. Oh, Blue Velvet. Is that <laughs> yeah. Blue Velvet? Yeah. Yeah, we got to talk about Sue Ann. I got yes, to indeed. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, I knew Alex, man. He was a dear friend of mine. We were we were very close and um, still are. You know, when I, whenever I see him, um, it's nothing but love. Did you ever hear the story? Of, I mean, obviously, for, for the newer Prince fans that are here, a lot of people didn't know this, but Alexander O'Neill was supposed to be the, the lead man for Oh, yeah. yeah. And I know that there was like a bunch of things that, that kind of shook out. I guess he may have asked for a little bit too much in the beginning or whatever to try to, you know, settle into the deal or whatever. Right. But did you ever talk with him one-on-one -on -one about what all went down there? Like, you know, did he feel like that was a missed opportunity or it, it just wasn't for him or what was his feelings on that? Or do you even know? I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm just assuming from what I do know is, you know, there was no regrets. I mean, mm. he had he had Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, you know, putting it down for him. You know, you couldn't during that time. You couldn't do much better than that. I right. mean, they were they were hit making, and um, Alexander was a phenomenal voice. Yeah, I mean, he could sing like nobody's business. I I think one of the most underrated, you know, singer crooners of all time. I mean, uh, I've watched one time I opened for Alexander at Rupert's Club. Wow. And um, sh shit, man, he got, he sang that night. I got the goosebumps. He tore yeah. that place up. He lit that joint up, man. It was crazy. Yeah. And and um, uh, just just an amazing brother. You know, he yeah. me and him, me and him go way back. You know, yeah, we listened to all his music and and he was killing it with Sherelle. So it was like <laughs> I was oh, like the ultimate combo oh, between them two. Yes. Fake was probably one of my favorite songs back in the day. I just fake. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean them 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 funk tracks were 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 amazing, but then you yeah. know his ballads yeah. were really just you know. I, I think he was right up there like with Luther Vandross or, or you know, Freddie Jackson. I mean, he was, you know, a broken heart can mend. You yeah. know, all those songs that were just like phenomenally melodic and just beautiful. And his voice just, you know, carried it all the way through. You know, you hear this brother sing live with no auto tune, nothing, just pure Alexander killing it. You know, yeah. and so Absolutely. I just love that. You know, that was just a just an amazing time and era for for um, Minneapolis and, you know, for him, for this whole community. Yeah, he had that power voice. That's yeah. what I liked about him the most. He could just let it out. It was like, yeah. yeah. And, you know, the other thing was he was, uh, you know, he was um, he was just a man singer. You know right. what I mean? He was like, it wasn't no. Wasn't no sweetness in the game. You know, he just 
I mean, he got sweet with it, but he was just, you know, bringing it all the way, you yeah. know, alpha male. Yeah. You know, 100%. Yeah, Diane says that he was, he was, he's really big in, in England. And I don't know that he's really doing too much any, uh, anymore. Is he, is he still doing a lot of performing? I, I thought he was on like a final tour or something is the last thing I heard. I don't know what the, the truth of that is. You know, I don't, I don't know if he's doing a lot, but I know he's doing some appearances here and there. Mm. You know, the last time I was coming from London uh, last summer, we were on the plane together and we flew black. We blew, we uh, f- flew back from London and it was just a coincidence. He happened to be on the same plane I was on and he was coming to Minnesota. I think he did a show at the um, um, Jazz Dakota Something like that. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, I could. Um, yeah, I could definitely yeah. tearing that up for sure. Yeah, he's no joke. Still, he still can. He still can blow his ass off. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. And I see. I see some questions kind of going going through here. Uh, I know P Funk is asking about um, about the cover of Atomic Dog that you and uh, Prince covered, and we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about about that stuff we're kind of going in a chronological order so i, I want mm-hmm. to kind of stay that stay the course but yeah that's cool you mentioned something um about your sister sue ann carwell uh-huh. and, I, and i'm sorry jeff Peta, i skipped over your your question but we're gonna no, no, go ahead uh sue ann uh-huh. and i gotta ask now sue ann used to do i mean she did so much with with Prince in those early days, especially 83 and before there was just a lot going on. I'm curious. And obviously with this being your, your sister, maybe you have a little bit of insight with it. Why didn't Prince ever really kind of officially release anything with, with Sue Ann? I mean, I, I know that um, enterprise, which is a band she was working with opened up some shows during the controversy tour um, and she also did some vocals on some of the time tracks like Get It Up uh, mm-hmm. and did background vocals on Still Waiting. Um, and she had like a bunch of different things. You actually single a single that was released from whatever. But so we know that Prince liked her. Uh-huh. But whatever, you know, why didn't everything come to fruition with her? Well, you know, it was it was um, I, I think <laughs> I mean, I know, but. You know, there was some politics going on. You know, they had Prince and Sue Ann had the same management. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, some of the dynamics going on at the time were, um, you know, I think that the management company was kind of trying to dual track her because they signed her on Warner Brothers right behind Prince. And Mm -hmm. so there was there was some dynamics with that because Prince was like, no. You know, that's my artist and 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 um, he wanted her to come up under him, you know, up under his production and all of that. And then I know at one point he had produced some some demos for her and had her had her thing going. And so they took it through. And at first, you know, I guess Warner Brothers was like, well, it sounds just like Prince. You know, what's you know, what's the difference? And so um uh, they they went ahead and started uh, experimenting with like Pete Berlotti and um, 
you know, some different producers in Tumay, you know, different people mm-hmm. were tinkering with her sound. And then um, I think, you know, shit just kind of one thing went one way and one thing went the other. But they still were friends. And I know Prince, you know, he loved Sue Ann. You know, he loved the way he loved her voice. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he um, he was just he was in our life. He was our he was our friend. But he just after that situation, I think him and Sue Ann just kind of both went their own separate ways. Mm-hmm. And Prince ended up Prince ended up getting rid of the his management that he had at the time. So, you know, things kind of went went different for a little while. Yeah, I, I think. You know, once Warner Brothers kind of came into the mix, it kind of definitely because I know he did actually put an album together for her or was starting to put an album together for her. Yep. And if I remember correctly, they he named her Susie Stone or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like like, yeah. It was like a whole a whole thing and yeah. uh, make it through the storm, which ended up on uh, it was like a single from that. But there was like just nothing. I was it was just surprising to me because for those that don't know, uh, this Sue Ann Carwell CD, which you can probably still find copies floating around here, here and about called Blue Velvet. This was actually produced by Jesse Johnson. Yes. Yeah, I think that was her. I bet that was maybe her second album or third album. I know she did three albums. Yeah. All together. But I think it was kind of funny that because I know that Prince was always just quietly in the background kind of at odds with with jesse he loved jesse liked jesse's guitar playing yeah but he always kind of felt like it was like there was always like a competition going on between those two yeah. right. or when it came well, to you guitar. know you know sue sue ann brought jesse up to minneapolis to play with her he was from down in the quad city rock island illinois that's right Ooh. and she went down there to do something and then Jesse ended up coming back up with her. She's seen him down there playing the blues. And then he came up. I'm trying to think of the band, the name of the band she was in then. But and and her and Jesse are still like, like this. I mean, he did her, he did her last album too, Blues in My Sunshine. Wow. Did you 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 ever heard that record? No. Uh, you never seen it? I haven't. I haven't I, heard I, it. I haven't heard. It. I'm gonna be looking for it now. I'm right. I'm looking now. Yeah, yeah. It's um. It's um. Let me see where that. Oh. One of them up here. Oh boy. Man, that was about to show us something we haven't seen now. Oh man, it's amazing. One of the man, it's one of the baddest records ever. I mean, um, I have to check it out. Absolutely. Jesse, Jesse, Jesse. You know, Jesse is is. I always, I always say he's 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 the grandson of Robert Johnson, mm. the, the 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 blues man. Jesse can play the blues like nobody alive today. I don't think he's incredible. That brother ain't nothing nice when it comes to playing that guitar. We just need new material from him. That's what we need. Yeah. Right now, so yeah, I think he's. I think he'll be hearing something soon. He, I know he's a. Uh, He's uh, working on stuff all the time. I talk to him here and there, every now and then. Yeah, it's uh it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing to kind of see how Jesse kind of tied himself with people that he that Prince was at odds with at some point <laughs> in time with, or, or that he didn't really kind of come through for uh-huh. in a lot of 
for ways. Like a lot of people feel like he didn't come through for Sue Ann and Jesse kind of stepped in when, yeah. Wendy, when Wendy and Lisa got cut, Jesse stepped in, was doing work with Wendy and Lisa. It was like, mm-hmm. it seems a little strategic thing going on. <laughs> well, I mean, you, I mean, Jesse did Janet Jackson's first record. Right. I mean, and odd thing there too because Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis cut he cut Prince kind of felt like the the Minneapolis sound was passed on via Jam and Lewis and he was not a yeah it's it's a whole thing. Yeah I mean it it, it really I, is I think Jesse did wonderful things. That's the thing. Like he stepped yeah. up and, and took care of those people that were moving on. You know what yeah. I mean? He was yeah. he was doing his thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. Margie, Margie Cox. It's just just, just getting back when you were talking about Sue Ann, I, I always, I always tell this story because it was so funny back then. Just the mindset and how I thought. So Sue Ann comes home one day. She got this cassette, and um, she lets me hear it. She says, "Check this out. This is I did this in the studio with Prince, and it says, get it up. I'll fuck you all night.'" Get it up, get wow. it up, I'll fuck you all night, right? And I was like, the first thing that came in my mind, I was like, you can't say that on the radio. You know, like, you can't say that in a record. And she was like, well, I don't know, but this is it. You know, I was hearing it. And so anyway, later on, it was funny because, you know, maybe uh, a, a, a while later, I heard that same song she did. On uh, on the time it was get it up get it up I'll funk you all night you know but just you know all the time she would come home and have different demo tapes and stuff they were working on it was just like you know when I think back to that era I'm like it was so like nonchalant you know just hearing what she was doing and it not not thinking of the magnitude of of what she was doing and even who she was working with it was just like. You know, mm. you know, a new prince. He's from. He come over the house and hang out, and you know, be at a be at our cookout in the backyard or something like that. Mm. You know, right? Was he eating burgers back then? He was eating uh, burgers and ribs. No, you 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 know the, the funny thing about Prince was he kind of um, always stood stood to his own. I remember us having a cookout, and so I come in the house. I came. We had a back door in our house. So I come in the house and Prince is sitting in there at the kitchen table. My mom's doing dishes and he's talking to her, you know. And so that just kind of clicked me out. I'm like, everybody's everybody's out in the backyard talking shit. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And he was he was chilling in the kitchen, you know, (laughs) talking to my mother. So, you know, it's like that. He all he's always been kind of, you know. Um, hey, he's hanging he, where the real knowledge is. Yeah, yeah he's, he's finding out what the deal was. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, as I can tell you, um, Prince was always doing his own thing, and he was definitely always a ladies' man. But yeah, I, I just find that whole, uh, just that whole clash between him and him and Jesse, just so so interesting to me just because it was just this quiet uh quiet battle that was always just kind of in the and, and i'm not gonna lie and i i think i told you this tc when we were talking uh before i said yeah. i had a pink suit and, and i did not have a pink suit because of prince <laughs> i had a pink suit because of jesse johnson yeah 
I was not able to pull it off as well as Jesse, obviously. Right. But uh, but there was a time where I felt like Jesse really kind of he just out he I just kind of felt like he outfunked Prince in a lot of different ways, especially during the review time. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. Jesse review. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean that that album was just it was so raw and clean and dirty and imperfect. Just like this is just freaking be your man. I mean that I mean that whole can you help me? I'm just thinking about all the I I I have every single 12 inch with the exception of the one of this one that I just had gotten. This is one that I hadn't even seen before. Uh I didn't even have I did not have this one. I didn't even know this one existed because I have every single 12 inch the man has ever released. And I saw oh. this one, like, Oh my God. But yeah, there was a period of time where I just thought Jesse was just, he was speaking to me more from the funk side. Whereas mm. Prince kind of was every single album from Prince. Prince has always been known for funk. Yeah. But if you listen to his albums, there's not, there's not like a whole bunch of funk there. There's always yeah. a lot of funk on it. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Oh, he's always all over the place. I think yeah, 1999 yeah. was probably 1999 was probably his funkiest album front to back, but yeah. he's always all over the place. And Jesse just kind of fed that yeah. funk thing that I really wanted. Absolutely. Who, who are some of your uh, your I guess people that you would were your go tos for for funk in general? I know you're friends with George Clinton, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, George was. Growing up, he was the, you know, he was the funk master. You know, he 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 he, hold, he held the funk down tremendously, and I was blessed to be, you know, introduced to him by Malia. Before it was almost like I got prepared to to hang out with George before I even knew I was getting a record deal or anything. Malia Franklin had moved to uh, St. Paul. And she was working with a lot of the um, musicians here and just putting together her funk thing, you know, the queen of funk. And um, she just schooled me to the to who George was, how it all came about, how he, she introduced him to Bootsy Collins. Mm-hmm. And um, she was she was just the history. And, and she was also a, a networker. She connected and, and, and mentored a lot of. Um, funk musicians all over the world and um, I was one of them and um, without a doubt um, you know of course George but I mean I came up on the on the um, uh, Herbie Hancock you know that that was the funk to me um, yes. uh, Donald Bird Blackbirds <laughs> you know I came from that funk jazz fusion type of thing you know so I was really into that. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember, you know, hanging out with Prince. I had this, this big stereo system in my basement and we would listen to um, one of the, some of the funk that we really, that we dug deep into that we liked a lot was um, um, Steely Dan. Oh, you know, yes. You, you know, it was just like, you yeah. know, Steely Dan, man, because they had the funk tracks like the Fez. Oh my gosh, yes. without your fans. I mean, there was like so much funk yes. in Steely Dan that just people just missed it. It's they just... missed a lot of a lot of people missed it. Wow. Uh, but 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 um, 
I didn't miss it. I mean, and I remember <laughs> I remember sitting there with Prince. We're listening to Asia, the, uh, the album <laughs> Asia, you know, yes. in, in my basement, you know, and, and um, it's just um, those memories just blow me away when I think about the times that in the situations I've been in, you know, with the music, even with George Clinton, he, he was my, um, he was my most unbelievable rock and roll moment of all time. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to hang out with George a lot and, um, you know, we had a good relationship and, um, it was wild. It's a, it's a, it's a story I have to tell that a, another time. It's kind of deep. It's heavy. It's dope. You know. So, I've, got, I've got some George Clinton stories too. Yeah, yeah. He was always dogging on me. We had a yeah. every yeah. time I ever got him, he just uh Yeah. yeah. Uh, this has been a story I've told on here many a time, but I'm so I won't do it again. So but uh yeah, George is George is the best and he'll he'll be the first to call you out. Yeah, so you know, at, at the time when I went when I worked with George, I was like a go-between between George and Prince. Prince, mm. Prince would load me up with the with the two inches, the 24 tracks, and I would fly out to Detroit and I'd stay out there for a week or two. And and George would be working on Soul Psychedelic side and a lot of different stuff that they were preparing before um, the Graffiti Bridge movie. Right. So I was able to get, you know, have a get real close with George. You know, Amp Fiddler was with him at the time. Um mm. Detroit boy. Huh? Detroit boy. The Detroit boys. I mean, they were um 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 Steven, uh uh um the lead singer of P Funk, um Steven Boyd, um all them cats, man. They just took me in and clip pain, um uh boogie bonson, um oh, all them cats, they just took me in and treated me like a little brother. You wow. know what I'm saying, and, and just bought me into the funk. So I was right there with with the whole get down, and mm. I was I, I got super blessed. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna talk about those guys like Amp Fiddler and stuff when we talk about True Confessions because Amp Fiddler actually had his thumbprint on that album too. Yeah. And Amp, Amp Fiddler actually a couple of his solo albums actually walked away with the best funk albums of 2020. 2020 or 2019 he had he had a, he'd been on the best funk albums a couple of times on the funkotopia list because his stuff is just is just fantastic it's really yeah. really surprising that you know he's not bigger than he is because he is oh, yeah. literal musical genius amp fiddler is just he's just yeah. he's the pride of detroit man but i gotta ask you because you know you're not much of a singer and you admittedly so rap was yeah. kind of your thing where you kind of moved i've heard you say before when you kind of moved into the the music industry part you know you mm -hmm. kind of rap is going to be my spot i think mm -hmm. and so in the 70s rap really hadn't hit that hard yet right so, and you're starting to see prince meet some success and you know start to put minneapolis on the map and you know start thinking about you know your own success because admittedly you're you're quite a bit of a hustler right and, like all of us are, we all hustle in some yeah. fashion, but um, how were you able before rapid really kind of got its traction? How were you able to kind of find your spot in the music industry 
during that period of time? Were, were you just kind of like, where do I fit in? Get in where you fit in? How do you? What yeah, well, you know, it really, it really wasn't so much as that as that, you know, I had to bag, you know, what all them cats was trying to get at. Right. I was the man. So they was calling me up. <laughs> I was guest, I was VIP guest at all the studios around town. And, um, you know, that was just my life. You know what I'm saying? But of course, my my little sister, she was singing and I love music. I mean, that's that's my heart. And I grew up playing the drums. You know, I grew up with the, with the Lewis boys and, um, you know, I was in the, you know, I was half ass in a band and I was half ass growing up. So when when um when the hip hop hit me, I didn't even know what it what was going on. I I went to make a move. I went to see Alexander one night, and uh, mm-hmm. so I popped into the studio, and it was um it's called Alexander's Playroom at the time on Selby Avenue in St. Paul, and so okay. I go in there, and um Joey Kareem and John Rivers and them. Joey was was one of the original players of Flight Time. The yep. original, the original time, flight time before time, when they had um, um, Cynthia Johnson was singing, you know, the girl who did Funky Town, she was in that band also, along with Terry Lewis and you know Jelly Bean, all them cats was in that band. So anyway, I come down to the playroom and um, I'm making a move with with Alex, and they're showing me this new drum machine. They got this new Lynn drum machine. And they're hitting the buttons and they're showing me how this thing works, how cool it is. And so, you know, they they were all hit the button and then it would repeat. It would just keep doing whatever you put in there. Right. Right. And so um, 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 we're listening and they got they got like the radio on is in the speakers in the studio. So this song comes on Roxanne, Roxanne. Roxanne, Roxanne, I want to be your man. You know what I'm saying? And so Roxanne is going at it. And so one of her girlfriend on the record said, she said, he wanted me to meet him at the beach. And then her girlfriend said, did you meet him at the beach? And Roxanne said, hell no. In the middle of December when it's 30 it's below. <laughs> you know? And so for some for some reason. <clears throat> Roxanne's revenge. That line, that line offended me because I'm from Minnesota. And it's cold all the time, right? And so when I heard that on the on the little speaker in the studio, I said, "Oh, she's talking shit because I ain't rapped to her yet." And so everybody was laughing. So I got on the drum machine. I went doom, 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 and the beat just kept going. And then, then um, that was the that was the beginning of my addictive career. I was like, here, give me some of that shit y'all be smoking on, right? And I hit that shit and I went to the microphone. I say, you know, I said, Minnesota, Minnesota, this is the state. I'm going to tell you a story and I know it's not too late about the Twin Town and who stays here. I'm sure you heard a lot, but I know it wasn't clear. I got a little rap and I know it's right because I've been in the Twin Town all of my life. And so that was the beginning of, of the Twin City rap. 
And so, you know, I go on to tell the story. I say, you know, Prince and Andre Simone were the tightest of all when they played in Grand Central on the Nicollet Mall. Prince proved music wasn't art. And song after song started topping the chart. He helped out friends he knew along the way. He produced the time. Yes, Morris Day. The time as a whole, unbelievably strong. Till Jimmy Jam and Terry had wrote their own song. How did Prince feel? He said, hell no. So Jimmy Jam and Terry decided to go. They do well on their own, like you might guess. Check out Janet Jam. Jackson or SOS. Our city gained in popularity with the Prince found cutie known as Vanity. Now, I think that was really smart because Vanity's a real sweetheart. But Prince discovered a new raw queen and used her for his movie scene. But any couple like Taylor and Burton seldom takes a serious hurting. So Vanity jumped off of Prince's wagon to do her thing in The Last Dragon. But Prince expanded his music mix with three more Slims, Apollonia 6. He also started Sheila E, but she's not from the Twin City. See, all the women in the twins are bad, so we don't need the real Roxanne. Roxanne, Roxanne, I don't want to be your man. I got a Twin City Slim, and her name is Sue Ann. Hey, don't get mad. Don't get me wrong, because Jesse Johnson sang that song. I want to be your man, baby. Oh, oh, oh. Well, the time still kicked, by the way, until the departure of Morris Day. Morris Day liked to act a fool. Morris Day was the champ of cool. Loaded with talent, and that's a fact, or he wouldn't have been signing on the movie contracts. Another game fame ever since he looked for a girl who's innocent. Alexander's his name, and he could blow, so I know he had to be good to go. So now you know without a doubt what the twins are all about. So anytime you turn on the box, think about the talent Minnesota's got. From pole to pole and bay to bay, Prince in the time is number one to say. What can I say? Twin no. talent. Man. So that that was that was the Twin City rap. I went in there and and uh, me and my cousin we popped that off, and that was in 1985. Oh, right. <laughs> that was in '85, and then I, I mean I I went I bugged Prince about the shit for years. Look who is in the house. Sue Ann is in the house. Sue Ann made it. <laughs> <laughs> Little sis, what up? Carwell's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, TC, when we talked earlier, I said, I want to have Sue Ann on the show. I said, please, yeah. please, please. I would love to get Sue Ann on the show. So, Sue Ann, please reach out to me. Funkatopia at gmail.com, please. I would love to have you on the show. I got this. I other questions or more That's but awesome. right now man i tell you what i that the fact that you were able to commit so much of that rap in your head i mean I, i'm gonna hip-hop is okay. like one of my second favorite just genres to listen to yeah. but it always amazes me that hip-hop artists and rappers can remember such a high volume of music. It's not like a regular standard musician. The regular standard musician might have to remember two verses and a chorus and a bridge. Whereas in a rap song, in a rap song, there can be like three or four pages or more of just, especially if you do something like Kendrick Lamar or something, it's just like, it's just like rapid fire Yes, or ludicrous. Some of that stuff with ludicrous is like a verse can be like two pages. It's God, man. Yeah, Buster, forget it. Yeah. And back then it was it was yeah. public enemy. Jeez. Yeah, oh my know? God. 
So who's the first? Who's the first rap? I know you mentioned Roxanne, and Roxanne, but you know what was the first rap song that you kind of went into? Was like Sugar Hill Gang in that mix anywhere? Yeah, I think it was um, uh, Houdini. Yeah. I liked uh, Friends. A Friends. Lot. That one. That Friends. one. That one struck me hard. Houdini, and then of course, um, um, Sugar Hill Gang. I mean, that was really the song that blew my mind. I had a I had a friend. He went on a on a on a youth trip and he went to I think it was Chicago or New York and he came back and he and he came and he told me, he said, man, I got this record. It's the best record I ever heard in my life. And mm. I said, what? And he said, yeah, I said, better than Herbie Hancock. <laughs> he was like, he was like, yeah. So we went we went in my room. We went in the basement and he put the record on. And it was rapper's delight. I said, yeah. hey, if, if, if it happen, you don't stop the rocket. You know, and 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 that that blew my mind right there. I, I had never heard nothing like it and it and it changed my life. Wow. So, wow. You know, that, that was yeah. where it and all started. For, then for you me, had Curtis Blow. Yeah. <laughs> Just all those guys. Curtis Blow, LL Cool J. Yeah, LL Cool J. Yeah. The, the old wow. school guys, man. Hey, too yeah. short, you know. Too short. Too short was a beast. He 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 came out. I mean, them cats are just like phenomenal. Um, yeah. uh, um, E forty. These dudes are like you know, getting up almost sixty, and they're still they still can make a hit. Right. That the, that the kids are get on right now. Right. So that's that that's like a, that's phenomenal. Yeah, we. I mean, up in Jersey, New York, we had you know you had Red Alert. And those guys that were out there, I mean, I don't, you never know how far some of these artists reach over the boundaries of the, the mm -hmm. but man, I just, so what was the first time you sat down and you wrote a rap to paper and you're just like, you know, what, what was, what was the, can you remember what your first rap was that you ever sat down and wrote? You just heard it. That was that, it. Twin that Cities. Was that was it. It was, it was the Twin Cities rap. And yeah. that was at the at the peak of the um, uh, Minneapolis sound. Mm -hmm. I mean, but 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 hip hop was right on its heels. You know what I'm saying? Hip hop was right behind that that burst of 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 uh, creativity that was coming out of Minneapolis. So as a rapper, I looked at it as you know I was just breaking new turf. You right. know, I was really telling the story about what was going on in my neighborhood, in my hood, and that was that was the Twin Town, Twin Cities rap. Yeah. Man, that's dope. <laughs> wow, that's just uh, this is amazing to kind of think about everything that you've been through because um, because when you you fast forward, and I know that it was really difficult be, when you were watching kind of Prince blow up before your eyes and. You're like, I've, you know, I've got something that I can bring to the table here, you know, that I think if you let me in, I think it would really work really. We can just, you know, we, we, we can do things, but it's got it. That's kind of got to be frustr frustrating because Prince has always been his own guy. He's going to do whatever he wants. Yeah. to do. So, I mean, what is the story of you getting, uh, getting into Prince's ear and really just kind of just saying, you know, well, you know, I really, I really looked at it as um, just building character and strength, 
You know, I didn't at the time, I didn't even see it as frustrating as I saw it as it, this is the inevitable. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So when, mm -hmm. when, of course, when I did the Twin Cities rap, you know, I was all over. I was trying to get across to Prince and he was, nah, man, he wasn't trying to hear all that. And, he, you know, right. he, would, he would tell me from time to time, too. But I was pursuing him. And then when he was out, I would just start like rapping. You know, if I had another rap I had came up with, I'd start doing that. And, and so pretty soon, pretty soon it was like an ongoing joke. You know, everywhere Prince was because when I did the when I did that rap, the Twin Cities rap, I didn't I didn't get to Prince. It, five years went by. I was I was doing rap stuff all in between that time, but it, periodically I was pursuing Prince. And then um, when when the Batman movie came out, you know, I I thought that that was a capitalization because I knew that. Um, it was a big hit movie. It was it was like mm -hmm. the hype mm -hmm. on the original Batman with Kim Bassinger and um, um, Michael Keaton and all the and um, uh, what's the guy's name? The Joker, um, Jack, Jack, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. It was just the hype was incredible. So, mm -hmm. and and I was in this. I was in Prince's Spear at the time too. So me and Miko, we were we were pretty good buddies, and he played the guitar for Prince. And so um, he was helping me with my um, with my rap. He was doing making some music for me and stuff. And so he would always tell me about um, the Batman project they were working on. And he they would watch the dailies. They could see they would send the dailies to Prince of how the movie looked and the you know the stylization of it and what was going on. And so Miko, when me and him would work, he'd come back and tell me what he seen. You know, like the Batmobile, you know, this stuff. So, you know, so I did the rap about the Bat Batman that is the one in black, like a bat out of hell. He will reveal screaming down the road in the Batmobile heading for the crime only to find nothing but a riddle, you know, a rhyme. And so I rushed that out and I, I, I pressed it and I put it out before the movie came out. And so Prince had um, uh, Party Man or Bat Dance or something was out. And so mm -hmm. um, um, uh, the DJ, um, Q-Bear, he would play my record and then he'd play Prince's record. And, you know, <laughs> he would be talking shit. He'd be like, who's the who's the real Batman, you know? <laughs> and, and so that that really, that gave me some hype. And so uh, some other college rec radio stations were playing it. And then uh, eventually Prince's brother told me, Dwayne, he he told me he said David Warner Brothers was asking about that record. You know, he said they was they was somehow I guess they were they were asking Prince if he had something to do with it, and Prince denied it. You know, Prince used to do stuff in in um, fake names and stuff mm -hmm. like he had Jamie Star and you know mm -hmm. these 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 little names he would use, and so I guess Warner Brothers thought he had something to do with the with the bat rap my song and so he denied it and so then um uh eventually um that's when he called me up print because he prince's brother told me warner brothers was saying well how does he know everything that's going to happen in the movie <laughs> you know so they were they were they were giving 
Prince trouble. So then I guess Prince was like, let me get them before they find them. Right. And then, and then he called me up on the phone and he was, that's when he was like, Hey man, come out here, bring your shit out here to Paisley, man. We're going to do something. So I went out there that first night we cut, um, uh, true confession. The, the one on my, that ended up on my album. Yeah. That's that, that, that song also was in the movie soundtrack for graffiti. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was, we got a little, this a little image here from a graffiti bridge, but yes, in, insert, but yeah, I found what's really interesting is that so true confessions that was on your album that came first before that snippet, that rap snippet was used for uh, for new power generation part two at the end of this. Yeah, I had I had wrote true confessions. I had wrote that song years before I even got to that place with Prince. Mm. You know, true confession. That was my um, that was my. That was a song that brought me brought me into sobriety because I had mm. been, you know, I had been struggling with drugs and, you know, I was in the street and just, you know, doing a lot of shit I had no business doing. And that song I wrote. And once I finished True Confession, I never went back to uh, using drugs again. I've been sober ever since June 15th, 1988. Wow. Yep. So that was that was the time when when I wrote that song. Twenty three. That's just your thirty five year anniversary, my friend. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, been, I've been sober a long time. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's awesome. I love the scene in uh, we in Graffiti Bridge where it, what was it? Tick tick bang. I think he was performing, and then at the end, you I told you, kid, should have let me rap. <laughs> he should have. No. But you know that 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 too was a was a was a uh, you know time when there was a lot of that was really a kind of a graffiti bridge was really a um, a special time for me and I think the whole uh, Minneapolis music community because at that time Print um, Jimmy Jam and Terry were were formidable you know. Um, uh, competition for Prince at that time. And mm-hmm. Jesse was still in the mix. And Prince, he bought everybody back to Paisley. So you had Jimmy Jam, Terry, Jesse Johnson, the whole original time. Uh, Jerome, um, uh, Morse, uh, the whole the whole community was in the house. You know, mm-hmm. every everybody from the neighborhood. And then, you know, it was it was um, magical for me because I I got to be a part of that. You know, mm-hmm. I was there for that, and um, you know that was really Prince's movie right there. He really um, uh, put his heart and soul into that. How'd you feel about the end result? Well, I felt really good about the um, about that gold record right there, which is now it's like three times platinum. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> I mean, shit, I got paid. Everybody got paid. I mean, he made more money. He made more money off of the record than the movie, you know? So, and and I still get paid. You know what I mean? They played a movie. They played a movie on uh, all those channels. You know, they might play it 70 times in a month if they're doing a Prince thing or whatever. And then boom. 
here comes the check. You know what right. I'm saying? So uh, I'm like, I love it. I love it. And, and the history of it also, you know, that, like I said, that was for me, it's more than just the, um, like a success of a hit song. That's, right. that's just, that's, um, that's kind of more like a commercial feeling of success than the success of being a part of something special. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Because everything I'm doing now, I was able to recreate my whole life and, and bring something back to my community and do something that's, you know, phenomenal. And it's all, it's all based and steeped in that, in those relationships, you know, with my sister who mm -hmm. had a relationship with Prince, you know, who had a relationship with um, Jesse, you know, Morris, all those guys from the time, everybody who I know, Jerome, uh, it, it, George Clinton, it, it just, it's just like the ripple effect. And um, so I'm like, so thankful. I'm just like, wow, what a, what a, what an opportunity. Like I, I looked at your opening, you had James Brown, Prince, mm -hmm. George Clinton. And I thought to myself, I've been in the presence of all those cats. <laughs> and, and, and have had a chance to, you know, chop it up with them, and and that doesn't that doesn't include um um uh the wealth of Miles Davis, Miles Davis. Mm. You know, I mean, I've been a, I've been around and and have have had an opportunity to collaborate with with the baddest motherfuckers in the world. Right, right. <laughs> You know, so so I I got I got the vapors of all that working, working with me, you know. So and then now I'm at I'm at home, I'm in a sweet spot. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Shoot, I just I just refied my building here. You know, I just did an eight million dollar deal on a studio. I got the best. I got I got probably the best studio in between New York and L.A. That's nice. Okay. All universal audio, everything, you know, it's 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 an it's an amazing place. And then I got two to three hundred kids coming in, walking in off the street every day with the latest, greatest new talent. You know, they're 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 putting stuff out all over the place. Um I had a um um a um viral phenomena, smiley, um Nimic review, um Mr. Mm -hmm. Franks, he just one of my kids who graduated from here. He he did um, Ariana Grande's last album. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, my school in in California, you know, D Smoke. He was working there before he took off on uh, Rhythm and Flow. Uh, mm -hmm. I had um, Tyler, the creator. He went to the school in California. Mm -hmm. But these are all kids that I've had a chance to you know spread the word. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, we're gonna be talking about Studio Four because um that I mean that's commendable what you were able to kind of do and, and kind of move from there. But you know, there's a couple things that I kind of wanted to, to to talk about. I mean, let's talk about for a second uh the album that you did get released from with Prince, which is true. <clears throat> so this is like this is your only album that Correct and, mm -hmm. and why? 
Well, um, you know, life just changed. When when I did this, when I did that album that you're looking at, mm-hmm. I was in the midst of, of Prince going through a, an enormous transition. So, and, 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 and then again, you know, I feel like I was a special friend to Prince because of how, the way he treated me. You know what I'm saying? So um, I um, I did this album. I did the movie, the movie thing, and then lo and be- so. What, what? Let me let me give you a little backstory. When when we were doing Graffiti Bridge, Prince came to me and he and he asked me because I hadn't signed any contract. But we already had an album in the can, that one right there. And he I hadn't signed nothing to even be in the movie, but I had already done all the stuff. And so he, he came to me, he said, hey, man, look, you got to you got to sign a contract, man. He said, what, what's going on with you? And so I was like, well, um, you know, I was negotiating, trying to figure out how to work with these CDs because, you know, they're only going to give you 8% off the CD, but they're going to give you 12% on the record. And I started talking all that mumble jumbo and Prince was like, man, fuck all that. He said, listen, he said, he said, just go back. Don't worry about, he said, just tell them because they had like um, six options after this record, they had six options left. That was mm-hmm. part of the deal. He said, tell them all you want is three, um, three guaranteed releases out of this, out of the six options, and you take all the standard stuff. I said, Well, Prince, it says you can audit them if, if you're doing this. He said, dude, you're not auditing shit. He said, he said, it you know, you it takes money to audit them, and they got like five sets of books. He said, Don't even worry about that. Just listen to what I'm telling you. And so that's what I did. I went back and I said, okay, just give me the, give me the, um, the standard. But all I'm asking for is three guarantees off of the six options. And so they came back. Yeah. You know, everything was cool. So when that went in and then after the movie was over and everything, that's when Prince went after that. Soon after that, he went through the transition of, he didn't want to, he, he wanted his masters. He wrote slave on his cheek. All mm-hmm. that shit went down. And um, eventually Warner Brothers dropped him. And they dropped me too. Because everything that was on his label was, was done. So, mm-hmm. but the thing that saved me was those three guarantee releases. Because huh. <laughs> they only had the one, they only had the one album to base it off of. So they had to pay me for all those records. And so instead of me trying to, you know, everything was in flux. I had, I had got out there with Prince and everything, but I I needed to keep that cash flow going. So I went downtown. I opened a recording studio in downtown St. Paul, but it was on the skywalk level and all the kids that were ditching school kept walking around all around the skywalk and they kept congregating at my studio and mm. saying, Hey man, let us do this. Let us do that. And I was like, you know, I was blowing them off. Like kind of like how Prince had did me. I was like, I'm busy. You know, I got clients and shit. And they was like, Oh man. So one day some clients didn't show up and they called me out on it. They said, see, you said you had a client at two o'clock. It's like two 30. We could have made a hit. You know, and so then I was like, come on, come on. I took them in the studio, 
and threw the beat up, and they were like phenomenal. They, wow. These kids were just like spitting shit. They were typing this shit in their phone and standing up and going in the booth and getting on the mic and start rapping immediately. Where with me, you know, I'd have to get the beat, listen to it for a few days, be trying to write some shit out and all that. <laughs> and so then that blew my mind. So then from there, I was like, they wanted to know, how do you copyright? How do you publish? How do you do this? So I'm, I'm explaining to them, I'm like, you know, you got to go to the uh, library, go to the government documents um, and get the PA or the SR and you fill that out and then send it to, you know, you get the copyright from the Library of Congress. Well, what's the PA? What's the SR? I'm like, you know, performing art, sound recording, you know. So I'm mm. basically I'm teaching them how to do the business and they're coming back to me with questions. They wanted to know everything I knew about the music business. And so then from there, I'm like, you know, ain't you got, why you guys ain't at school and shit. And they're like, Oh man, they kicked us out, man. They kicked me out of school. You know, they didn't want, they were like, fuck that. You know what I'm saying? They're trying right. to do their music. So that's where the ideal came from. I was like, okay, these kids, if you can do the stuff, what I just showed them, you're already competent as a high school student. Right. I didn't learn none of that till I was 25 years old. You know mm. what I'm saying? These kids were doing it. So that's where I got the idea. And then I related it back to my own experience because I had got kicked out of all the high schools in the St. Paul School District. Mm. And so I ended up at a school called St. Paul Open School. And they taught me about hands-on experiential learning and that I was a I was a different type of a learner, you know, and so I started to understand what education was and how I could use it for my benefit. And so then that transferred. I was like, this is me all over again. Mm -hmm. And so that's where that's how Studio Four um, created the high school for recording arts. But but the but the in the in the short range, I had came out of the contract with Warner Brothers and all that. And so I was like, this is this is really my life work. Mm -hmm. Because when I when I one of my kids graduated and their mom was there, their grandma was there, the dad was there, all these people were crying. Cause this kid was getting a high school diploma right. and they never thought he would graduate. Right. And then I, when I saw that, I was like, that shit made me feel better than being on stage with George Clinton and Prince. Right. I was like, this is, this is my life work right here. And so then one thing led to another, I start building blocks, putting the deals together and um, you know, you know, my higher power just lined up the moon and the stars. And mm -hmm. and um, here we are, you know, this uh, next weekend, I have a conference. It's called um, um, Remixed and it's remix education. Hmm. And I'm going to have people from all over the country are coming to uh, Minnesota. They're going to be at um High school for recording arts for um, MEA weekend. That's when all the teachers do their thing. And then I'm gonna have a um, the uh, pre the pre conference day is gonna be out at Paisley Park on the 18th. And Chris Emden, I don't know if you ever heard of Dr. Chris Emden. He's a Harvard 
professor, but he's hip hop and he does all these physics um, projects with kids and using hip hop and all the stuff that I've been about since I've been doing this work. And so he's going to be there. I got Anthony Simmons, um, Michael Lipset, my staff, you know, my family, and um, it's going to be amazing, you know? So I'm just, I'm just, um, so that's kind of like my answer to what happened. I mean, I just, I wow. just, I just re reinvented myself and went beyond the, the album. Although I'm executive producer on like nine albums that my kids have done mm. at, at uh, high school for recording arts. And we, and we're going to have a 25th anniversary um, project that's going to be released next week for oh. um, high school for recording arts with music that we've been doing for the, for the past 25 years. Wow. Right. So hip hop high. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's what one of the, one of the dudes called it hip hop high. Yeah. <laughs> kinda, they use that name too. And, you know, I did a deal with MTV. They did a, um, a pilot uh, about it and it's just been um, on it. an amazing journey. Is that out there? The MTV uh, coverage? Yeah. If you look on, if you go on, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pilot. We didn't shoot the, um, we didn't shoot the series. They wanted to do a series, but um, you know, there was, there was some snafus about that. So right. yeah, I'm gonna put an idea in your head, TC. Here's uh -huh. my, Look, you think about these reality shows that are on like dance moms yeah. and things like that. I'm telling you, this would be an amazing reality show where you see a bunch of musicians and artists coming in and working yeah. through all that stuff and everything that they're going through. And you mix in some of those yeah. personal stories and stuff. It would explode. You, there's got to be a producer out there that that has, has got this idea in their head to, right. to make it. Because I love music-based documentaries and things like that. Right. A reality show with some, of something this caliber, man, with with – an ever-changing cast of characters. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, yeah. that'd be. Well, you check out the pilot, and you know, I've I've been talking to Drew Barrymore's company some, you know. No, so no. it's still, you know, it's still swirling. the The whole thing is still swirling around Hollywood, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, telling when. So manage all those um, different. So we're talking about Studio Four. I'm going to go back and talk about True Confessions because I still have yeah. some any questions. About, that. but since we're here talking about Studio Four, let's go ahead and, and get some of these questions I had about Studio Four. First off, mm -hmm. uh, how many how many locations for Studio Four are there right now? Um, or uh, six in LA, three in Wisconsin, one in Chicago, and the flagship is here in Minneapolis. Wow! And I heard rumors that there's an Atlanta one coming. Is that true? well? You know you. It, you, it, you, there's a lot of details you got to work out. You know, different different um, school districts have different rules and 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 barriers to access. You know, mm. so um, it takes time. You know, we're still we're still talking with them, but we're partnered up right now with Youth Build in California, and that is an amazing organization who understands and works with young people. You know, I target and I work with young people, a lot of them who have opted out of the traditional education process. You mm -hmm. know, they, they're just not successful in the academia uh, 
group world and they right. need what I needed, which was which is hands-on experiential learning, project-based learning. And so we use um, whatever creative endeavors or ideals, it doesn't just have to be music, it, it can be graphic design, um, mm -hmm. photography. Really? Um, um, we, we, I got a, I got a shop in, in the school where the kids learn how to make guitars. I got a master craftsman guitar builder. He shows them how to put all the wiring together, do the, do wow. the woodwork, assemble mm -hmm. the guitar, um, um, recording engineers, um, producers. So there's. So how does it cost for, for a, a student to, to come in or somebody to come in and, and, and learn? I mean, what, what, what is the, I mean, is it a, it's a free type of thing? Everything is free. Yeah. It's a public, it's a free public education through the, wow. through the uh, charter school movement. Charter public. Yes, it's a charter public school. Mm -hmm. And um, we're able to reach kids that, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them are coming from, you know, chaotic, you know, families or, or, or communities, or they're struggling with different issues. And they really need it. I look at this place as kind of like therapy, you know, mm -hmm. certainly for me, <laughs> but also, right. you know, for the kids, you know, sometimes a kid just, you know, getting on the, on the pro tools um, uh, program or fruity loops or cube base. And then they're learning how to work that thing. And it's just, you know, brings them to a whole nother um, uh, existence. Right. You know, and it, and it and it changes their life. And, you know, you get the kids like, you know, sometimes we'll tear the studio down and just do a deep clean. Nice. Take every take all the plugs out. And right. so you get a kid. It's, they're learning polarity. They're putting the they're putting the stuff back together. And I've had numerous kids. They go on to become electricians because <laughs> because they found out that they like that. They didn't. Yeah. They, a lot of times, young people, they don't even know what they like. Right. You know, until, until they experience it. They come in, some of them come in there, they think they just want to be the best rapper. You know, and there's like 10 kids that can rap them right out the room. Wow. But, right. but they end up being the best engineer in the in the building, you know, or they're or they're the photographer or, you know, they they learn the business, you Man. know, so they, they they learn all about the music. And there's there's so many different now there's what I call media occupations. Mm -hmm. You know, kids learn how to work the radio stations. Now it's all done, you know, electronically. They can send email blasts out to different radio stations. They can look at, they can monitor their email and see if the manager opened up the email, if mm -hmm. the program director opened it up, then they call them up and say, hey, I sent you that email. I see you opened it up. Did you hear the the music that we're working on. So we, you know, we, we work with different artists, sounds of blackness. They're in our, they're in our space all the time. They rehearse and they're housed here. Um, you know, um, Paul Peterson, uh, different, different groups get mm -hmm. our kids to help promote their records. Man, that's fantastic. Good. Yeah. Paul's a good friend of good friend of ours. And uh, my brother from another mother, NPG in the house, Damon Dixon, giving Damon. you a so my brother TC doing great things. How you doing? NPG house. Um, 
Yeah, I, it's just a. Uh... Uh, Judy says, what's the name of the school? It's Studio 4. Well, it's H, uh, HS, HSRA. Yeah, HSRA. Is, it stands for High School for Recording Arts. But also the kids in the community know it as Studio 4 because that's where Studio 4 created the High School for Recording Arts. Right. So by see, I saw the need, you know, what was happening with the kids. And so that's why I... I I use the studio to to create the school. And you probably got like a lot of different kids that are coming through that have, you know, different types of learning disabilities like you were talking and one of the things that I just seen on the news uh recently was that Drake um decided to take a break from music for uh his own mental health which kind of and I when I heard that I heard that yesterday and I think it was on TMZ or whatever um, but I, I, I thought about when I was talking, when I was going to talk to you, I was thinking, you know, when you got all these kids that are coming through here as, as you know, the owner and the, the, the founder of this idea, is there something in place for you, how you monitor mental health with some of these kids and, and how you're kind of keeping oh, yeah. an eye on counseling, the wealth counseling and stuff. Is oh, it, yeah. we, stuff we, we, we have a whole wraparound service. We have, um, each student is assigned to an advisor, but also we have social worker, we have um, therapists, you know, kids learn about um, uh, sexual health, um, healthy eating, healthy, we call it healthy choices, you know, mm -hmm. so they learn, they, they, they're exposed to a family, really, this, this place, our mantra, with the, what the four goal stands for is family, respect, community, and education. Wow. Mm. And um, that's, that's what we stand on. That's our, that's our uh, foundation. And so that's part of when kids come here, they learn that family, respect, community, education. So if a kid needs help, we usually find out about it. A lot of our kids deal with homelessness, you know, mm -hmm. at some point during the year, you know, um, you know, we have a, a almost 50% homelessness rate. Mm. You know, and we're finding kids places to live and we're finding them food to eat. We're doing, we're doing the most. That's a, yeah. that's, that's a high number. Yeah. Wow. It, it, it really is. It's wow. a big number. A lot of kids. I mean, some of these kids, you, you wouldn't believe what they go through. I, I have kids, you know, 15, 16, they're couch hopping. You know, they're staying over their friend's basement or they're doing this. I'm like, where's your, where your, where your people at? Oh man, my mom, she, she left, she moved to Chicago. She went to Denver and they're like, you know, 15, 16. Oh, man. They're, technically they're underage, but in reality, they're an adult. They're out there on their own. So, right. they gotta, you know, we, we, we got to make sure they get somewhere to sleep and get some food to eat, you know? Mm -hmm. You, you got to do you got to figure that out before you can even deliver the educational uh, aspect. Right. Because they're not going to receive an education like right. they're not going to mentally. They can't pull that right. in. Right. But That's they know we love them. You know, right. a lot of them come to us. They just they don't have the coping skills. And so it's like it's like teaching a young person, you know, the etiquette of just being a, a productive uh problem solver, you know, good citizenship, mm -hmm. you know, 
give something back, you know, t- just giving them those words and, those, and that understanding of what that means changes their life. Right. Right. And a lot of these places that you've been recognized by, recognized by New York University, Cornell University, Oxford yep. University in England. Yep. And you even gave a presentation on the school model at the Oxford University Roundtable. I mean, <laughs> it was, dude, it was so, it was so crazy because this is, this is, this is, I this is just me being silly. This is how dumb I am, right? You know what I mean? So I get this, I get this nomination thing in the mail, and it says, You've been nominated to um come to Oxford University and present your work and be and be a fellow of the Oxford Roundtable. And so I didn't at the time, I gotta be honest, I didn't really know what that was. Right. And so I I what is I showed some. I showed my sister and some people. They said, "Yeah, man, you." And it was all you know, expense paid. Um, some somebody nominated me and put me in it, and so I'm like, "Okay." And so they said, "You got you got to go to that, man. You should go to that." So I ended up going over there. So when I get there, they assign me this guy. He's like my advisor, mm-hmm. and um, he's got this long beard, and you know, he's it's old frumpy white guy, you know, with a blazer on. And he starts explaining to me, he says, you know, this university is four times older than your country, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so I'm like, oh, okay. And so then, so then he's moving me around. So he takes me on a little tour and then we come back to where it's called the, the student union, the coffee shop. It's where they, where you do the, where the, everyone does the presentations at, right? And so I go in there, and the whole wall is lined up with pictures of uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, Sister Teresa, Desmond Tutu, Malcolm X, um, you know, just all these phenomenal people, Winston Churchill, President Kennedy, all these people. And so, and then he, he then he tells me, so then that's when it finally clicked in my brain. I'm like, oh, this is Oxford University <laughs> where, where, you know, this is, this is like the, like Harvard or something, you know what I'm saying? So then he explains to me, he says, now that's the, that's the podium where you're going to do your presentation at in a couple of weeks, you know, cause we wow. were there for like a, a session, you know, so we were there for like, I think three weeks. And so, and so, <laughs> I, so I, as I prepared, you know, I got ready and, um, you know, I, I hung out, I got to hang, I got to, you know, hang around Oxford and, and they took me on tours. He showed me all the X marks on the sidewalk. And so oh. we were walking around like, what are all these X's for? He says, well, that's where someone got um, uh, crucified or burned, you know, because yeah. that, that's what they used to do back then, you know. Right. And so, um, burnt, you know, burned at the stake or witches and all that kind of stuff. And so I was like, damn, I could, you know, just blowing me, blowing my mind. And so then when I finally got up there, I did my presentation and, uh, you know, I got a standing ovation. Wow. And, and it was just, you know, the time of my life, you know, I came back, I got a, I got a childhood buddy that I grew up with, Dr. Crutchfield. He just recently passed away, but he was, um, he was a uh, um, 
research scientist, PhD, and an MD doctor of, uh, mm. of dermatology. And so he always had all these degrees. He had degrees all in his office. And me and him were like, we're like this, right? And so one time, and so when I came home, I had my degree. It was rolled up in a tube, something like this, you know, stuck <laughs> in there. And I never took it out. And so I, I went to his office one time, me and him were hanging out. And I said, I said, Charles, I got a degree that can, will trump all your degrees. He said, he said, oh, yeah, what is it? I said, I'm an Oxford University um, roundtable fellow. And he said, yeah, sure, right. And so I said, no, for real. And he said, okay, well, let me see it. Show it to me. So I met him for lunch and I bought the bought it with me, right? And so when he when I pull it out and he sees it, he's like, he's like, okay. And so we get in the car. He says, come on, get in the car. And he drives me to the place where he gets all his degrees framed. I was gonna say. And he, and he, and he, and he frame, and he gets my, he gets my, uh, Oxford, um, my Oxford, um, degree framed right there. There it is right there. Yes. <laughs> so and, and, and that, that, that's, that's my buddy. That's Dr. Crutchfield. He's the one who did it. He was, um, he was, uh, being him, he took me on a trip to Cuba, <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, so. I mean, That's this great. this 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 whole thing has just been 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 a dream come true. It's so it's, awesome! It's amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I I have decided that at some point the next time I'm in Minneapolis, I need to come see that place. I need to come to Studio Four and check it out. Definitely, you should come next week. <laughs> All right, I'm on the plane. <laughs> hey, we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have the the conference here for three days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're going to do uh, Wednesday evening at Paisley. In the next two days, we're going to have all kind of deep dives and, and big thinks all in the school, the studio. You know, it's going to be it's going to be a great time. Look, we have we have the interview with Maite on Monday. We oh, have yeah. uh, we have Tony M. Yeah. <laughs> And Robia Scott on Tuesday, but Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. You're Wednesday, Thursday. Hey, it's yeah, gonna actually, be it's gonna be fresh. It's gonna be good. Where are you guys at? Atlanta. Oh, you're in Atlanta? ATL, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, my sister, she lives in Atlanta. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, she, uh, Chalnetta? No, Wanda. Uh Chalnetta says, uh, she says, it was me, your sister, who nominated you, Goofy. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know. Now I know. Now you yeah. know. I knew it was somebody. Yeah, but yeah. So that's what oh, happened. I got. A, I got a chance to do that. And 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 you know, I have to say, I'm glad she popped up on there because that's the other uh, phenomenal force behind my um, grace is my family. You know, the Ellises and the Moors. They have supported me through thick and thin, you know, man, I've been, I've been down in the dumps, you know, when I, when, when I ran into that cocaine thing and, and I'm thankful that I made it out, you know, a lot of, a lot of friends and, and colleagues didn't, and I did. And so mm. here I am sitting today and, and, it, you know, it's all due to, 
you know, the love that I got from family. And that's one of the reasons why family is the first uh, thing in my mantra, family, respect, community, education, you know, so. Well, there's, there's nothing more beautiful than uh, when you receive your blessings, you pass those on to others. Yep. And that's what you've been doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that's it. That's the power. All right. So let's shake through some of these questions that have been popping up. So some of these yeah. people are asking questions and I, I, I kind of feel bad because I'm just like, I'm not, we're not ignoring you. We're just trying to, trying to find the right spot. Here's a question. I don't know where it's going to come from, but P Funk asked, uh, TC, was your father the drummer in Prince's father's jazz band? No, he wasn't. <laughs> there you go. There, that's a that's simple enough answer. Oh, and uh, he also asked about uh, about the cover of Atomic Dog you did with Prince. Atomic Dog? I don't think I did that cover. That was um that was George Clinton record before I got to the business. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it may be he was talking about like just covering the uh, covering it. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's somebody else. And Web Diva 3000 said, uh, talking about Amp Fiddler, said Amp Fiddler taught Jay Dilla how to program the drum machine when he was in high school. I didn't yes. know. Wow. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, Amp, like, like you guys said, you know, Amp Fiddler is another underground, low key player that was major force in the music game. Like, I mean, like, like yeah. she's saying, I mean, he put Jay Dill, he put um Jay Dilla on, you know. Mm. And I've I've sat on panels with, with with Jay Dilla's mom, and you know, we all know Amp, you know, Amp Fiddler was just a, a phenomenon out there with you know right. with George and being um, you know, just taking taking young cats under his wing and showing us what we had to do, you know, helping us out. And and by the way, I know you said something about um my singing. But if you look on one of Amp's records, I'm on there doing background. Uh oh, <laughs> what's the song? I, I can't gotta, remember what it is. I got, I got, I got to find it. I, I got to go to Discogs and look it up. And speaking of which, I, I want to pull this up because I really want to show uh, folks who may not be familiar with the album True Confessions that you did on Paisley Park. Mm. Talk about this just a little bit, just to kind of close things out. I, I'm so glad we got to talk about Studio Four and HSRA mm -hmm. because, man, that is just such a phenomenal thing that you're doing. And when, before we before you go, we need to make sure that anybody that's listening uh, and welcome to you, fine folks that have been listening on the Funked Up app. I see you've got got a lot of people that are listening on the app right now, so you're not getting any visuals. Luckily tonight, we don't have a whole bunch of visuals, so that's a good thing for you. But I want to share. Uh, the the page from Discogs um, mm -hmm. on album True Confessions, because there were some things that, you know, I did not know about this album. Some of the people that had their hands on this album that were involved in some of these songs. Now, um, even though most of the albums that came out in Paisley Park Records, Prince was like really heavily involved. I can't think of any Paisley Park album that Prince wasn't heavily involved in. And it just didn't seem like there was a bunch of involvement from him other than Miss Thang. And uh, I think there was a question that somebody had asked before regarding uh, Bambi, whether or not, you know, mm -hmm. what level of involvement were or what, what he thought about that. And um, mm -hmm. the Bambi rap that you did, mm -hmm. Girl of My Dreams, which was actually a, a sung song. Uh, yeah. There's a 
there's a bootleg song, but you rapped. It's basically the same song, but you but you rapped it. But I'm looking at some of these songs to kind of go from top to bottom. But let's talk about that first. What was Prince's involvement in your I mean, do you feel like he was detached when he gave this project to you? Did he did you feel like his presence was there? Most definitely. I mean, really? he, 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 we were in, I was in and out of the studio with Prince um, quite a bit. I mean, he, he was spending a lot of time at Paisley Park. Paisley Park was kind of just really getting launched and um, he was working on the movie. You know, he was editing all the time. You know, he called me in the studio to do different um, like, voice stuff or I don't know if he was using it on on different records but he you know he'd have a like a list of stuff for me to say you know he'd tell me hey um um boom and chocolate mirrors or something you know some he'd have something he would be telling me to say in the microphone and then um you know I worked with him on uh graffiti bridge when I when I redid the uh true confession song mm-hmm. um yeah, it was it was it was just uh you know a time when we got familiar. He he stood he was right there when I did uh, Miss Thing video. He hung out with us all day. You know yeah, he he stuck with us. Yeah, yeah it's just like his name is just not. Uh, normally he puts his name all over everything. He puts a stamp on everything, and it just doesn't seem like his name was really mentioned that much in, in the credits. Mm-hmm. But some other things that I I love on here, obviously the song Pussycat. That was produced by George Clinton. And also uh, Amp Fiddler was also on keyboards here. You had Levi Caesar Jr. on keyboards. Vocal George Clinton and uh, Malia is also. I mean, this is and it was written by J.D. Steele as well. I mean, this is really, yeah. really up. I mean, some of the credits on this album are amazing. For the record with Eric Leeds on sax. Mm. Yeah. Levi and you. Yeah. But which is you and. Uh, uh, which has got you and George on it again. Amp Fiddler's on there. Clip Payne's on there. Clip Payne, the voice of... Nobody's got a voice like Clip Payne. Hands down, if you ever want anything narrated with a powerful voice, you got to get Clip. He's the man. And and he's a a cool brother. Yeah, he's so so chill, man. He's so down to earth and keeps it real 100. I love him that He's like a big brother to me. Yeah, it's been. I, I, I we, last show I saw, it was me. I went to go with. It was supposed to be George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic's last tour. Uh, that was like three tours ago, and, uh, and You're right. <laughs> and, uh, and I was. I don't remember who who I was with, but uh, Clip. It was at the Fox Theater, and Clip Payne came and Clip said came and sat right behind me because he was checking the sound and nobody knew really who he was i guess but he was just sitting in the crowd talking in the microphone right behind me and it's like literally got chills going down my back i was like it's like clip talking right behind me it's like amazing uh his voice is just just one of those iconic powerful voices it's such a cool dude he's an amazing cat man he's he's all that imagine imagine being in detroit with clip Payne, amp fiddler george clinton um wow. uh, stephen boyd all them cats is just swirling around you and 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 uh hanging out just having a, 
having the ball, man. Just, oh, man. just loving every minute of it. Um, you got Levi. All obviously, Levi produced most of this. You, but yep. you've got Alan Leeds, who we've we've had in the show, which was an amazing show. Yeah. Uh, some executive producer uh, producer work on here. You had Be Quick on here. Prince is uh, off and on in some things here. Levi's all over this. Yeah. Uh, well, Levi Levi was the main producer, the main project manager for for it. But um, yeah, he he definitely was back and forth consulting with Prince about you know what he thought and how everything was going. It's just mm. shocking to me because when you look at the, the credits of all the people that had their finger on this album, that it really didn't get, it didn't, it didn't bust out like I think it it right. probably deserved to. Right. And I think this is, um, you know, I think this is one of the oh, Chanetta uh, said, uh, show the note of instructions Prince wrote you. Oh, oh, okay. I don't know. Oh, we're gonna <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm I'm in my office. I'm in my office right now, but I think she's talking about I'm gonna I'm gonna make you a larger screen. We normally do larger screens, but we just kind of want to be more, more friendly here. But yeah, so, there you go. You get the can you see that? Yeah, I can actually see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Prince he, he he wrote that, put it on, you know, gave it to me. He wanted me to, to uh, say some stuff into the two track like that. Oh my gosh. That's, and why is that not in a frame? You know what? The original <laughs> is in the frame. Oh, the original. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I was just showing you the one that you can see because it, it's really kind of, it, it's, it's uh, old okay. and it's faded. Okay. You know? This Man. is the one you can touch. This yeah, is the but, one you can. But, but you know, Prince, he wrote everything like with. He he write numbers for words and stuff like that. Yeah, right. That's that's uh, oh Jeremy yeah. asked um who is Cecil Womack? Cecil, Cecil Womack. Cecil Was Womack? That in the Jeremy, is that where you saw so uh, and uh, and Lenny Beeson said it is an underrated album for show sure enough. Uh it's funky. And uh Phantomus Fanto says is there any material you recorded with Prince that didn't come out that you thought should have been released? Everybody always says yes. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some stuff. I I had a I had a track that I did called Power Line. Yeah. Um, you know that ended up in the vault. I thought it was really good. I just got busy. I probably could have put a could have got it on there. For the most part, for the most part, Prince, you know, pretty much gave me my way. You know. With what I was trying to do, but some things just, you know, got, you know, so much stuff was happening. You get sucked into this. You you know, I was trying to get the record out at the same time. The uh, Graffiti Bridge was coming out. And then, you know. Now, was this, hold on a second. Let me see if I can say this. Let me, I think I have power line. Oh, you do? <laughs> I think I do. Hold on a second. If oh. I do, no, it's, it's, I shouldn't have it, but I do. Hold on a second. Oh. <laughs> And somebody asked. The music. Ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that you were all under arrest. Yeah, right. Now I want to see all the fly boys on one side of the room and all the fly girls on the other. We're going to hit you to the power line. Yeah, right. Move, you mother.
think that was it. I can barely, I can barely remember it. I, I thought it was, I thought it was more slower and funkier. Oh, he could have changed it too. But I mean, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That, it, that, that it was, an, it was another that. question we had from uh, P Funk Mean. Is there any talk at all about uh, True Confessions being released, reissued on vinyl? Yeah, I should do that. You know, I was I thinking think about just, I was thinking about just doing it, reissuing it on um on iTunes because it ain't it ain't even up there. You right. can't get it. You can't get it. Only no, not iTunes on um. Uh, Spotify, yeah, yeah, iTunes. It's not on iTunes. It's nowhere. You can't, you can't find True Confession anywhere. It's rare. I call well, it. A, it's a rarity. And um, so I was thinking about, you know, talking to Warner Brothers and seeing if I can have it and do it myself. Just, just re-release it. Yeah, maybe, man. Maybe put another song or something on there because it's not on. It's not on Spotify, iTunes. The only place you can find it is is um is um YouTube. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, I would uh yeah, I collect vinyl, so <laughs> yes yeah. indeed. So I would play that. Yeah. yeah. The CDs I have the, your CDs somewhere. It's it's like a whole massive stack of CDs over there. But yeah, I used to collect all of them. But anything that got released on Paisley Park, I, I'd try to make sure that I got picked up. But I think the truth of the matter is, and, and this has been um, problematic, I would think, and I don't know if you agree or not, but I just don't feel like anything that ever got released on Paisley Park Records, with the exception of his stuff, really got marketed that well. Yeah. I, I just kind of I can't think of any Paisley Park artist that came on Paisley Park Records that got, that I feel like got really good exposure or, or marketing. I mean, you had that affiliation with Prince and, oh, it's, you know, but I just don't feel like it was marketed externally very, very well for any of those. I, yeah. I, mean, I could and be great, pretty, great right. stuff too. Not just, yeah, there were, there were some good artists and oh yeah, it could have done a lot, you know, gotten I more. Mean, was, you know, it was, um, it was, a for me, it was a strange time because, you know, I and I always shared this was Prince. You know, I thought that, um, you know, he could have he could have really influenced um, hip hop a lot more than he did. But he he waited. He held out for a long time. He just he just he didn't you know, he, he wasn't ready to do it for himself. But I mean, listen to some of his records. Prince could rap his ass off. Right. He's a beast. Man, Prince would have. Man, Prince could have easily been a, 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 like on the level of like Uzi Vert or somebody. I mean, the shit Prince was saying. I I just saw one of heard one of his records where he was rapping, and I was like, dude, it was incredible. You know, he could he could he really could do it. He could do it all, and that was one of the things I told him when I was trying to convince him to to put me on. I was like. He was like, man, you know, I ain't with that rap stuff. And I said, Prince, you're a virtuoso. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> you, 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 you can do it. You can do everything. And then he would tell me, he'd be like, hey, man, look, you need to have your people talk to my people. And then da da da. And I was like, no, nah, fuck all that. I said, Prince, I'm talking to you. You're the, you're the man who can make the decision right now. And so uh as time went on he he finally you know let let me do it but it was way it was five years later it was mm -hmm. it was um 
it was quite a bit of time that went by. When I put out um, this record here. Here's an album that we don't know about. This is um, Twin Town, Twin Town Rappers, the Twin City Rap. This came out in, um, I think it was nine, uh, 85. How many tracks are on that? It was um just two. It was a single. Oh, it was a single. Okay. Yeah. All right. And um uh, numero uno, they re-put this out. They put out a project called um uh let me see this one. This project here called Forecasting Forecasting the Minneapolis Sound. Mm-hmm. And so huh. when you bought this, they reissued this and then and you would get you would get you would get this with it because basically it, it kind of tells the story of yeah. the Minneapolis sound. So, so what know, is the other one? What is the other one that you were just holding up? I'm sorry, what, say again. Forecasting the group. The group that you were holding up. Who was that? Oh, that's just the cover. Them were some dudes that were them were some brothers that used to hang out in the taste in the in uh in the fox trap, the club where everybody went. I've heard so many stories about the Fox Trap. So I was, yeah, we. I'm, I'm sure we, we had equivalents to the Fox Trap here in Atlanta for sure. But uh, yeah, there's like many, many stories. Yeah, yeah. So this is um, this was the this was the tra- this was the record I did with Miko. Ah, uh, nice. The bat rap. So okay, Miko Miko had put me on with that, but um. Yeah, the fox the fox trap was where it all went down. You know that was that was one of the things that Miko sent me back to Prince on when um, I was telling Miko stories about when we were young, and I was telling them about how I had took up for Prince back in the day. Prince was at the fox trap, and um, somebody was tried to give them a hard time. They was going to jump on them. I was golden glove champ and stuff. So I was, you know, I was kind of tough guy. So anyway, I was like, nah, you ain't doing that. You know, he, you know, Prince works with my sister and all that. And so Mika was like, next time you see Prince, remind him of that. And I was like, nah, you know, I ain't, I ain't, I wasn't trying to bring that up. He's like, dude, I'm telling you, I work with him every day. You gotta, you gotta go there. You gotta go there with him. And so, the next time I was at um at the Pacific Club downtown Minneapolis, and it was funny because Prince called me over. He was like, TC, come here. <laughs> and so I went over there and um he was standing there with um Hucky and Gilbert. And so he said, Man, you gotta quit coming up to me every time you see me out in the club with all that rap shit. And I was like, Why? He said, Cause I'm gonna have to have Gilbert or Hucky do something to you. I said, like what? He said, you know, like break your legs or something. I said, yeah, right. I, and so, so then, you know, me and Gilbert grew up across the alley from each other. So Gilbert was a couple years younger than me. You know, Gilbert was kind of scared of me growing up. You know what I mean? So I was like, I was like, Prince, if I ball up my fist, Gilbert would break his porch door down trying to get in the house. And so, and so, and so, um, and so I shared. And so then I told him, so that's when I came out with, I, so, so I remember what Miko told me. I said, Prince, who was taking up for you back in the day when Coles was fixing to kick your ass at the Fox Trap? 
before you had all these bodyguards and shit. And he that said, was- oh, what, what, what? Do I owe you? Do I owe you? And he started, he started <laughs> acting like he was going in his pocket. And so I said, I said, no, you don't owe me nothing. I said, just open up the door. I can get it myself. And then he said, and then he said, um, he said, well, that was then and this is now. And he walked off. He did the, he did the little Prince strut <laughs> and, and walked off with his crew. But but I already knew I had, you know, I was already working on the bat rap. And so mm. I was I was coming at him, you know, me and him. We had a, you know, kind of like a back and forth play hate relationship. You know, it was it was all it was all fun, you know. Did he ever find out that Mika was the one that was giving all your all the details? Yeah, why you think he why you think he let um um uh Levi run the project? Mm. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. Yeah, he 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 gave the whole project to Levi, where where Miko was really the Miko was one that really popped it off, you know. But then Miko, he was he was working on his own thing too. Yeah, you know? so many stories, man. We could be I, this is amazing. All yeah. right, I got I got one more question for you, uh-huh. and but it's it's a loaded one, um, and then on top of that, and then I want to give people any information that you have that can we can for the studio for stuff mm-hmm. but, yeah. i'm going to ask you a question and many people will have no idea what i'm referring to but you can fill them in mm-hmm. did you ever get your masters back from joey kareem uh yeah i did i got the i got, <laughs> I got the master back but it didn't have no music on it all it had was my vocals oh <laughs> <laughs> the story about Joey Kareem and what, what was going on there. So well, can- well, after, you know, when I did the record, you know, Minnesota had kind of a, a music hierarchy going on at the time. And hip hop wasn't even in the mix. You know, it just, mm-hmm. it was, you know, everybody was on the Minneapolis sound thing and it was going, but I was, I was kind of ahead of my time. I was, I was into the hip hop. And mm-hmm. so, I went to Joey's studio. That was the same studio where I um, did the where I did the Minnesota rap. And so um, uh, after I did that, they told they wanted me to like kind of get in line. They were like, "Well, man, you know, there's a lot of people who are working in this music business, and they're trying to get out, and you're just, you know, kind of jumping ahead of everybody with." with this uh, rap stuff. And I said, and, and so, you know, I was, I was kind of aggressive and, and, and cocky. And I was like, yeah, that's why they call it hip hop. You know, <laughs> you, you, you jump in front, you make this shit happen. You know, you, 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 you go for it, you know? And so, and so uh, me and him ended up in a strained relationship at the time. And uh, he just basically he took the master. So what I what I ended up doing, I cut that record off of a instrumental show um, tape that I had. I had this really uh, good Memorex uh, cassette with no vocals on it. So I took it back to another studio, flipped it on a two track, redid the vocals, and pressed it up and put it out. It was like, hey, this is what that's that's how I got started. What what couldn't nothing stop me? I was like, I'm I'm gonna do it. 
And then, and then, and then even, even to this day, we laugh about it. Me and Joey, we're cool. You know, he lives in Atlanta. He's right down there with you guys. And, and um, I've been down there visiting him a few times. Him and um, uh, John Rivers, they live down there. And so, wow. I, you know, I've been to his house and hung out with him. He came up here when I was building the new studio in in the in my present building. And, um, you know, we're all friends. Man. <laughs> you're, bringing back, you're bringing back memories for uh, from a lot of people here. Uh, Mayling yeah. May Stone Stonepool came in was like the fox trap. <laughs> Everybody knows the fox trap is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was uh, she was the um, uh, little red Corvette, you know. So that was um, uh, um, Prince's little um, song. He was talking about you know that you know if you know you know. You know, so so yeah. you're so you all right. Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, we all go right. back. We go back a long time. All right. So you're saying Little Red Corvette's about mailing Stone Pool. Well, that's what Prince told me when I asked him. <laughs> you know, but he, he you know, well, <laughs> when, when I was doing my video, I was asking him different questions about what songs he did, you know, because I always thought he did um um she's always in my hair about my sister shy. Mm-hmm. I said, did you write that about Chinita? Cause she was always giving him shit. You know what I'm saying? Holding them to the fire. And he was like, no, nah. he probably said no because she was standing right there. <laughs> and so and so and so then I I asked him, I said, did you write little Little red Corvette, is that about Maylene? Because she was like little hot mama around around, you know, he was he was um uh dating her here and there, and she was with um uh the boxing champ Mike Weaver. What was that dude's name? Yeah, and so you know, he had with him and Prince had bumped into each other, you know, coming through her place or something, and um, you know. He was kind of sideways mentioning her about the the uh, jockeys and the autumn cats that was there before him. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> wow, uh, yeah, she, yeah, she's been on the show before. We we've talked to her quite a bit. She has um, Mailing has a a long, long story history uh, with um, her family and and just everything that they've done. Uh, politically and socially um, for African-Americans in Minnesota. I mean, just it, the, the, the story and the history there is just so wide and. Mm. Yeah, just, it is. You know, they, they, we're, we're, we're a um, historic community, a historic black community, kind of like, you know, um, like black wall street or the story like with the gap band, there was an area in the Twin Cities called Rondo. And it was a thriving black community that was just like, they had everything, drugstore, grocery store, insurance guys, the whole community thrived. And then that was where the Department of Transportation decided to put the highway Interstate 94 right through the dead center of that community, which which basically really, kind of destroyed it 
Well, it, it, they dug this deep hole and then they had these bridges that went over. And, um, you know, as time went on, they're doing actually um, my my sister, she's working on a uh, project about the history of Rondo and how, you know, there was there was even an alternative uh, highway route that they could have took that was much less populated. And it was it was basically the same route. It wouldn't have, wouldn't have made no difference, but for whatever reason, they dug it right through the black community. Wow. The stories that I keep hearing about that, we have our own stories here in Atlanta. Obviously, yes. there was a town, I don't know, a lot of people don't know this, Oscarville. Yes. Oscarville is a, uh, was a really thriving black community here. It was just at carpenters and blacksmiths and bricklayers and everything. And it was surrounded by and it still is it's in Forsyth County and they, they couldn't find any way to, to get them out. They just wanted them out. So they literally flooded the whole entire town. And I've heard about that. Yeah. A lot of so literally if you're in Atlanta and you go to Lake Lanier, yes. Underneath Lake Lanier is yes. that your town of Oscarville. I've heard about it. Yeah, I, you can go into parts of Lake Lanier, and there are still buildings and everything that are at the bottom of Lake Lanier, at, and it's just it's this this town is steeped in that, and it's not it's not just prevalent to Atlanta. It's like those types of things happened everywhere. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Well, you know, I heard I heard people still there's it's like that lake is haunted or something. People it's still it's, drowned in there. That's you, what they say. You know, you go there, you you're liable to not make it out. Yeah, yeah, I I don't like to swim in Lake Lanier too much. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of ghosts everywhere for sure. Yeah, man, I tell you, it has been an absolute honor having you yes, on. Just absolutely. a little bit about the history of Minnesota and your musical history and all the phenomenal things that you're doing with the high school for recording arts and Studio Four. Tell people before you go. Where can they find out more information about HSRA, which is High School of Recording Arts? Where can they find more information about it? Uh, and how can they support you? Go to hsra.org. And, wow. and it'll come up. But then, then there's a link on that page that will take you to another organization that um, me and a couple of my partners started. It's called For Learning. And that's that's the entity that we're using to um, um, get our work out to the to to the nation and the world. So you know we 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 spread our pedagogy, how we engage with students, how we integrate the recording arts into um, um, curriculum, and um, we we try to create academies in schools that maybe. Maybe they're a traditional school, but they need a different approach to to um, attract and and continue to engage students that maybe aren't motivated by the traditional system. So we use the recording arts. Man, well, I cannot thank you thank you enough for um, for all your uh, support over the years, and and obviously. It's great to have you on the show, and, and yeah. again, some history and hear some of the amazing work that you're doing right now. Yeah. Hey, my uh, sister, she's telling me to <laughs> show you guys this. It's a, it's a, um, 
hip hop is saving teen lives in Minnesota. The 74 million.org. So that's, is that backwards for you guys? No, it's, nope. it's playing the 74 million.org. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Yep, we can see it. The 74 million.org. Yeah. It. So it's a cool little piece about what we're doing here at the school and uh, for learning. Our, our other sister organization is really reaching out to try and um, give kids an opportunity. You know, all of this is really a, a derivative of my work that I was able to do with Prince. Because that that work put me in a position to to do my life work, and so I'm I'm in t eternally thankful for that opportunity and just being raised and and um, growing up in the era that I did and having the family that I did, you know, like I said, um, I was I was blessed to be around all that creativity and all that energy. Yeah, yeah I told him. Man, well, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Yeah. It's been an honor having you on here, man. And I hope that we uh, I hope that we asked you everything that you wanted to answer. Yeah, well, thanks, <laughs> yeah. man. And if well, not, I'm, we'll have to have you come I'm, back. I'm hanging around. Hey, if you get a chance, come to Minnesota. Oh, go to – um. Yeah, if you go to Four Learning, you're going to see Remixed. And the way we did it is, like, we spell the word Remixed. But at the end, it's capitalized with ED. So it's Remix Education Conference. Okay. And so okay. that's what we do. We, we try to reiterate and remix education and make it work for young people who are trying to find their way. Yep. yep. Got it. So I check think, us out. I think Prince would have been really, really proud of, uh, of everything that you're doing right now because definitely speaks to his heart. And, yep. uh, man. It's been Thank an honor you. having you here, man. Oh, thanks for having. Hey, wait a minute. I gotta yes. send. I gotta send a shout out to my boy, Mark Webster, who put me up on you guys. He was like, "Man, you gotta get. You gotta get on Funkatopia," and um, you know, I just gotta let him know that you know. We love that's, Mark. That's my brother. Yes. You know, he's yes. he's been super helpful. He's worked at the school also. You know, helping uh, be an advisor to young people. And, and helping helping them stay on the right track. So I appreciate that too. Man, that is awesome. Matter of fact, I, I did actually save a, he when you held up that picture of that group, he said that's from uh the book Sight Sound Soul. He said that's where that picture came from, was from that book. Yeah. So yeah, Mark Webster, for those who don't know, he was the one that pretty much spearheaded the symbol that you guys see outside of Paisley Park. He was the one that got that implemented and got that put together. So that I mean it's it's iconic now. It is. I mean, now when you go to Paisley Park, everybody gets their picture taken in front of it. And he was also the one that spearheaded the renaming of the highway to Prince Rogers Nelson yes, Memorial. Sir. Hey, I ride down that highway. I'm gonna I'm gonna get with Mark and, and we're gonna cruise by the uh Purple Highway, and um, and uh, have a little conversation in the car. TC, anytime you want to come back, just let me know. Hey, thank you guys again. I appreciate it. Much love. Thank, thank you. Man. See you.